Hi, I'm Amy Kay, and you're listening to From the Heart with Ed Hart. I, I just want to welcome my good friend, Amy Kay Hutchins. Amy, it's great to see you again. It's been a while. And uh, so what have you been up to? You look like you're still traveling the world, but, uh, you know, probably traveling the world the way the rest of us are right here on, on Zoom or on our computers. Exactly. Everything is virtual now, which in some ways makes it far more efficient. <laughs> it does. It cuts the commute time down. It took me about 30 sure seconds does. to walk to work today. So I was literally, I was adding up the hours the other day and, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I will get three weeks of my life back. Yeah, that's true. That is true. All that time that we have just in the car yep. and uh, I don't know how long your commute is, but mine's 19 miles and it can take two hours in Southern California. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah. I'm 45 minutes away from the airport and now I'm down to a 30 second commute unless I stub my toe and then we can double it. So. <laughs> That's right. And okay. then those swear words you use in the traffic, you're just using them on your walk to your office at exactly. home. Exactly. So Thanks for having me back, Ed. This yeah. is great. It's so Ed, good to see you. It, it's really good to see you. So a lot of places we can go today and I just want to, I've, I've got a structure of it, but rather than the structure, uh, you have a new book coming out, you're all over the world speaking. I would love to just kind of go back in time first and just sure. how, do, how does someone a, arrive at the profession that you've arrived at? You, you teach people how to communicate the books that you've written and your writing, um, the seminars that you've done, the one you did for us six years ago, people come out of there having much, a, a much broader and better understanding and better tools on how to communicate with their loved ones, their employees and so forth. Tell me a little bit about how that career came about for you. Well, I think that it really probably goes back to something that we all have in common, and that is that we were given this voice box with no instructions how to use it. And so I'll just be really vulnerable for a second. You know, I was the, the classic of, I said something and then I'd be like, do probably shouldn't what have did said I just that. Say? Yeah, can I pull those back? <laughs> Seriously. Or, you know, or you'd think of the clever comeback like six hours later and it yeah, was like exactly. way too late. Yeah. And so I really, you know, I think that sometimes where our greatest pain is our greatest gift. And for me, my greatest pain over the years is not being able to use my voice, whether to draw a boundary or to stand up for myself or to ask for what I really wanted. And so the better that I got at it, the more I realized this could be the gift that I give back. And so it turned into a career that turned into an absolute calling. And here we are, you know, 19 years later in my own company, a 28 year career, and I'm just fired up by helping people to get better at their own communication skills. Do you remember a point in your life where you, where you kind of shifted from that I'm not owning my own voice to, wow, I need to teach people how to do this because maybe you had a mentor or a lesson or something that clicked? You're nodding like you do. I'd love to hear it. I think there were several inflection points. I yeah. think that one was early on when I started to teach and I saw it with children. And then I started to do corporate training and I saw it with adults. And then in my own personal life, when I wasn't practicing what I preached, I felt that pain viscerally um, and emotionally. And then when I would take what I learned and how to, how to get out of it and I applied it with my coaching clients, it's, it's really, it sounds really schmaltzy until you meet me and you realize I'm so fired up and it is actually yeah. my calling. When I can see somebody get their marriage back on track or relationship with their kid back on track or become a leader that people really do want to follow. That's, that's what makes me want to serve. It makes me want to get better. And I will point out, Ed, this is not a one and done. Like I am right. still on the learning curve. Absolutely. So you, you, you hit a hot button with me. We have two grandsons that live here with us. Uh, as we speak, my wife is downstairs homeschooling them like the world is doing with their kids and grandkids yeah. right now. You talked about kids and a topic that has come up a lot in conversations and phone calls and Zoom calls and so forth that I've either been on or I've hosted in the last month has been, how do we talk to our kids about this? We're in the, in the heart of the, of the COVID crisis right now um, at the time that we record this and certainly at the time we air it, we still will be. So it's very relevant today. What suggestions do you have on how, and I know it's probably circumstantial or you know, case by case, but any advice you can give to parents, or in my case, grandparents, on how to communicate with, what our, with the kids around us of what's going on in the world right now? Yeah, and I think that, I'll, I'll come from a slightly different perspective. I think that one of the things that's really important, especially as we communicate with children right now, is that we use a magical phrase called a part of me. And a part of me removes absolutes. So you can say to your grandkids, you know, a part of me is nervous. 
or a part of me is uncertain or a part of me is stressed out. But what you're saying is that not all of me is stressed out or not all of me is scared. And that leaves wiggle room for certainty, calm, confidence, love, respect, belonging, inclusivity. So even like if you've got a kid at home that let's just say misbehaves because they too are feeling it all, right? And so instead of saying, oh, I'm disappointed or, oh, I'm angry, saying a part of me is disappointed. Because that puts you in the whole entire, all I feel is anger. Exactly. And so it leaves all this space for other possibility and other emotions, but it also allows you to connect with children that their feelings are real. So a lot of times parents want to dismiss their kids' feelings. So they'll say something like, well, you don't need to be worried. We have this Mm -hmm. covered, or you don't need to be stressed. It's going to be fine. That doesn't validate what a child is going through. So it's really important to validate first. How would you um, tie in listening? Obviously, listening is half of the communication. There's the person talking and, and the one listening. Any active listening skills or techniques? And I don't want this to get into like a black and white technique full conversation unless you want to go there. And certainly, we do want to hear some techniques because this is what you do for a living. How do I, let's just, just talk to Ed for a minute. How do I become a better active listener with my grandsons during a time like this? You don't speak with your agenda first. So if your child shares something or your grandkid shares something, your very first response is about what they shared, not your own agenda. So it would be something like, um, just give me, give me the first name, Ed. Makua. Makula. Makua, yeah. Hawaiian. That makes sense. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I doesn't... hear you. You no. know, I understand. But you take their first name, so you, so you let them know that they have your undivided attention, and then mm. you say, I hear you. I understand. Um, that makes sense. And then you can make your point or you can add another layer to the conversation. But what we often do in time, in turbulent times and not, we like compete. It's like Ed, Amy K, Ed, Amy K, instead of stopping and saying, oh, Ed, I'm listening. Interesting. Uh, What observations I have one, and I'd love to hear your take on it first. What observations do you have as far as how communication may have changed in the last four weeks, just interpersonal communications and conversations? Certainly, you mentioned you're 30 minutes or 45 minutes from the airport. You're not exactly driving to the airport and getting on airplanes right now to go teach, but you're doing it in other ways, I know. Um, but just in the day-to-day conversations with clients or friends or colleagues, how has your conversation changed or your, or your methods changed in the last four weeks while we're in this crisis? Consciously, they've changed. So mm-hmm. I will tell you that one of the things that I'm really encouraging both friends, family, and clients to do is to be much more thoughtful in your word choice. And so there are high energy and there are low energy words. And just to be aware of that. So to, to walk in and say, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I'm confused. Those are really low energy words. And they can change the entire dynamic, both sure. at home or at work. And so I'll say, just be more aware of, it doesn't have to be Pollyanna. It doesn't have to be sis right. boom bah, But high energy words can be as simple as, I can do this, deep breath, one step at a time, I got this. So just be more aware. The other thing that I'll tell you too, which we've done personally, I've been really very conscious of it, is making sure that I don't start conversations with headline news. Mm. So often, you know, we'll walk into the living room, the kitchen, the family room, and we'll say something like, oh, did you see the numbers? Or, oh, did you see what's going on in Italy? Or, oh, did you hear about the UK? And that really distracts from the better, more productive. And they stop listening. They're thinking about the numbers and whatever you say now could just be blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, so really to avoid that. Awesome. Excellent. I appreciate that. So transfer that now into communicating with our teams. I, I work with 65 family businesses around Southern California and others in other parts of the world, literally at this point. Um, messaging for leaders to their employees. I think a lot of what you just said is critical, obviously. Don't come in with the headline news. But what approach would you tell one of your executives right now that you're working with on how he or she could better communicate to not feel like, hey, the world's on fire, because in a lot of cases it is. So how do we, how do we kind of tone that down a little bit so that we don't create panic? Well, I think it's about being factual and empathic. So to be credible, uh, you need to be able to say, here's the data, and here's what we're going to do in response to it. So to not, to not over-exaggerate it, like, oh, you know, you know and, or to come in and be like, oh, no, we got this. It's fine. Like, let's not. So it's not to be on either extremes. It's to be right in that center of here's all the information that we have. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do as a thoughtful response. And then to communicate strategically, 
financially, culturally, operationally, but then to remember too, that people really need to feel included right now. Now that's sure. not anything new. You're sort of like, duh, but a really great way to do it is to start a question with how might we? So it might be that you start a meeting on a Zoom or a GoToMeeting mm -hmm. or whatever platform that you're using and you start the conversation with this overarching question, how might we? How I'm might writing we that down. I'm taking money? it from you. <laughs> Say it again. I said, I'm writing that one down. I'm, I'm going to borrow, I'm gonna oh, I love borrow it. that one from it's, you. Yeah. It's one of my favorite question frameworks. So no matter what it is that you're doing, whether it's in response to COVID-19, whether it's response to culture, whether it's response to financial metrics, it's just the how might we, and then you fill in the blank. And what it says is you're open to possibility. We're all brainstorming and I want your ideas. Like we're going to create this decision and we're going to problem solve together. Yeah. How did you, when this all hit, and I'm not going to keep the whole conversation on COVID-19, but because it's what everybody's talking about now. And I really feel like it's important that we go head on into it rather than it's avoid relevant. it. Yeah, it's, relevant. it's absolutely relevant. And it's not sky, it's falling, it's tools and techniques. So with that in mind, I'd, I'd be curious when, I mean, I, I can tell you where I was, but you know, I went into a consulting project with a client and that client didn't allow us to bring our own personal phones in. And so I left my phone in and I'm listening to the news going in mostly sports talk because, you know, my world is sports uh, for the most part and grandkids. Um, there's speculation maybe the Golden State Warriors might be playing a game in front of an empty arena tomorrow night and, and things like that of what could happen. I go into this client for a few hours. I come back out. NBA season's canceled. Major League Baseball's canceling. Soccer. All these different sports are just like not playing again until this is done. Um, everybody is probably going to need to get home. So when, when that news broke or as, as it was transitioning, I'd love to hear how you talked with your clients because your clients, it doesn't require face-to-face, -face, obviously, but what was the messaging that you had to your clients as you were letting them know, hey, I might have to cancel a few events. I might have to miss a few meetings. Uh, this, the world's shifting. How, how did you go about that? Because a lot of people are still in that, how do we service our clients? The new normal has been four weeks old now, but we're only four weeks into this. So I, my first question was, how might we respond go. in a way that, that serves the attendees or the constituents or the members, just depending on, on the demographic? Sure. But it was, a, how might we respond thoughtfully together? And, and so I had some clients that immediately went virtual, like just immediate. I had mm -hmm. some that were like, can you, can you postpone to 2021? Yeah. And, and then we had an internal conversation here um, with the Amy K team. And that was how might we respond thoughtfully? And so we made a decision almost instantly that we knew people were going to have to communicate and lead in a, in a way that they'd never been asked to before. Right. And so that was when I put together the first webinar, and this is not a pitch, it's free. You can still go on sure. our anyk.com and watch it. It's on the homepage. And feel but free to pitch, leading. by the way, too, if you want. You say it again? I said, feel free to pitch all you want as well, by the way. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's, no. it's totally yeah. free. But it was sort of like the first thing, like we all want to answer, how do we best serve? And so that first night, after having talked to a handful of clients who were, who were again, giving me feedback and what they were going through, then my next question was internal. And I think this is really important for the people who are listening today. The next question is, how do I play? How do I serve through this? And I really do think is serving is your way, is how you get your way through this. Yeah. Um, and so we did that webinar, we pulled some of the best information, but we knew that it was information that people were going to need in real time. It was sort of like an emergency response webinar. Sure. And then I ended up doing 37 coaching calls last week for free. And yeah. the reason that I chose to do them for free was because how can you get on a phone call with integrity and talk about laying people off or furloughing and then like bill. So that was and just send you an invoice. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It just felt yeah. wrong on so many levels. Yeah. So those, those were like the two responses that we had is like, how might we respond thoughtfully together? And then how might we respond thoughtfully as a company? And then that internal true mindset question of how might I best serve? Yeah. How are you just on a personal note? How are you an extrovert? Like I am, I'm guessing. Um, from you know, knowing you and seeing you on stage and so forth, how are you staying in touch the obvious ways? But I mean, what's your, do you have a, do you have a process or do you have a, a strategy for how you're just staying in touch with your loved ones, especially those that you can't go see right now? Yeah. So I have an every other day phone call with my parents. Okay. We were, you know, we we're doing all the grocery runs for them so that they yeah. don't go anywhere. So they're close um, by. Yeah. So they're, yeah. yeah, they're, they're about 40 minutes away. Which they might as well be 40 hours away right now, right? Cause you exactly. can't go to their house. Yeah, exactly. And then we're doing the, the family dinners 
And I mean, I love to cook, but I'm, I'm usually not home Monday through Friday. Yeah. And so one of the things that the girl said the other day, which just sort of like was really heartfelt and again, as strange as all this is and as tragic as all of this, and we've lost loved ones. I mean, this mm. has been, this has been real. We have felt this. Wow. Um, the girls said the other day that one of the best things that they love about all this is that we sit down as a family every single night and they're like, and the food is great. And the food is great. Mom's really cooking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty odd. They didn't realize you had it in you, right? So it's good. Yeah. And that's good. And I'm guessing that you probably have a fair share of conversation about world events and mostly what's going on with school and what's going on with life and just try to balance it out more than, and, and you're probably just listening to what's on your mind. Yeah, and that's exactly what we asked. So yeah. that's the, that's I don't even I don't even try to be specific. I'll just we'll sit down and the very first thing that I ask after we talk about what we're grateful for is, you know, what's on your mind. So we start every dinner with two or three things that we were either unexpectedly grateful for that day or surprisingly grateful for that day just to shake it up a little bit. And then I go right into, okay, what's on your mind? And mm-hmm. you would be amazed at the conversation. <laughs> I know more about these girls in the last two weeks oh, than I, I think I've known in the last yeah. year. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I love how on your website and in your books and in conversations and everywhere I've watched you, you talk about, and and we're leading into this right now, life happens one conversation at a time. It does. What do you think? Put put yourself in the shoes of your kids for a second. How do you think they feel about having a a mom who is a master communicator? How has that benefited them? And do you get kind of the, oh my gosh, here we go again. Mom's mom's, uh, psychoanalyzing or, or communicating with us. Yeah, they're not, they're not always thrilled, Ed. So, course, yeah. so I'm actually, um, they are not mine biologically. Okay. So I met them years ago. So they've been in my life for a really, a really long time. Yeah. Um, and their, their original mother, their biological mother passed away when they were really little. And it was just tragic. Yeah. And one of the things that I told the girls early on was that you have a mother. You don't need another one. Your mother is beautiful and she's brilliant and she's amazing and she loves you so, so much. Sadly, she's not here. Right. And so that was really a great dynamic that we set from the very beginning. And I share that from a place of vulnerability, but I think it's really important that we're not always serving in a conversation in the role that we originally intend. And so when you show up ready to engage when you show up ready to serve rather than trying to always control but more more connect you'll find that your conversations are are far more um real and authentic authentic yeah yeah profitable yeah yeah you get more out of it when you don't go in as you mentioned earlier and again you're not going in with an agenda which makes me want to kind of scrap my notes right here and just continue different i mean no i know i know i'm totally about a planner so let me let me be clear on that i believe in planning Sure. I believe in planning and setting yourself up for success. I, I totally believe in that. Yeah, but when you too. kind of set your, your, it has to be this way, like it can only be this way, when you set that aside, yeah. sometimes you get more than you ever bargained for or asked sure. for, which is great. And when emotions are involved, you have to just kind of be re- willing to listen and, and, and improvise and, and, and you know, shift your sails as you go. Because yes. may, you may say, how was your day? And they may want to go into, I saw this news story 10,000 people in America have passed away at the time of this, yeah. you know, and now suddenly what you might've had is your agenda. If you had one at all out the window. Now right. It's just like, and being we, mature we... enough to let that agenda go. Yeah, exactly. Not always saying, okay, but I got to get back to this. So yeah, I've noticed that with my kids and my grandkids as well. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your writing. I mean, I know that you, I love to write and writing is I think somewhat of a gift that I have, but it's not something that I, put as much time into as I probably should because I would rather be out with people. So how do you balance what you're doing professionally with going out around the world speaking with still writing these best-selling books that you're writing? I, I don't find writing to be particularly joyful either. But what I, what I love is when something really works. And so I very much write like I speak and you'll find that my books are almost like having a conversation with me. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's fun to write the stories that are successful. I take a lot from my clients' lives anonymously. I take a lot from my own. And, and sometimes I'll even do amalgamations. Like there'll be this theme of like five clients that I've worked with. So I'll make up a character and make those, you know, all those themes into one. Combination um, of five people into one. Yeah. yeah. Super character. Yeah. Yeah. But I love, I love it. And I think what I love too is the fact that there's something very intimate about either hearing the book 
and I, and I read mine. So mine are audible and I mm -hmm. actually do the narration. So having that person in your earbuds, very intimate, or even sometimes yeah. just sitting down and I'm old fashioned. I still love to buy books. I mean, I, me too. I like the hard copy book. book in my hand. Yeah. So, and, and that to me is also still that very kind of personal, intimate experience that you have to reflect, evaluate, and predict about your own life. So I love, and, and the book isn't even out yet. Like I, I right. think I just mailed you your preview copy yesterday. Yep. Like I was literally opening books the day before yesterday, mailing them out. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited. Well, I got the PDF and I've read most of it. So okay. I have en I've read enough to know that I have a lot of questions for you. Okay. Um, can we backtrack though before the, uh, the book before, and I, I apologize that I don't have it right in front of me. I probably should put my, my glasses on. The Secrets Leaders Keep. That, that was a, a bestseller yeah. of yours as well. I'd love to hear. That's, the, that's a previous book, obviously. That's yes. not the one we're talking about coming out later this month, which we'll get into. Secrets Leaders Keep. The title right there makes me very curious. I, I've had the privilege of being um, a coach and a think tank facilitator for CEOs around the globe for over two decades. And we always say it's lonely at the top. And it's not lonely at the top if people would actually share their secrets and realize that we are more connected than we realize, that we have more in common than we realize, and that the same things that are keeping you up at three o'clock at night as a CEO of your business are the same things that are keeping me up. Sure. And so what I did in the Secrets Leaders Keep was I took the 14 most common secrets that I'd had from all of my coaching clients. I made up these characters, seven men, seven women, all different industries, different situations. But I showed you how hard leadership is. So this is not the book like, hey, rah, rah, this is how you do sure. it. This is just to say you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, I've often heard people say that if a leader says it's lonely at the top, they're not really a leader because if they're at the top alone, they didn't lead anybody up there with them. So, <laughs> you know, if you get to the top of the mountain by yourself, you didn't really lead anybody because no one's with you. Can you share one or two? Are there any that just jump out at you that maybe like made, I know that when I've written, there's usually a story or a topic and then I've taken that and I've then, you know, done a deeper dive into that to create more of the book. Was there one or two things that really hit you? You thought, wow, I need to flesh this out more and really put this into a book. Yeah, I think that one of them that was painful, but I thought was really helpful to share was that so many times we have to leave our hood behind. And so somebody in your childhood will tell you that you weren't good enough or you weren't smart enough or maybe you weren't mathematical or creative enough and then you get to be this adult and somebody will come along and they'll be like hey ed who are you like how how did you get to be like the facilitator of a podcast and this incredible leader and and there's somebody from your past that can't believe yeah. that you got you're doing this, this? Wow. exactly yeah. And so I think that one of the things that I say in that book, The Secrets Leaders Keep, is that you have to let go of your hood. I mean, who you were at five, who you were at 13, thank goodness, mm. does not define yeah. who you're going to be. But you, you carry this baggage of other people's baggage and other people's insecurities and limitations with you. And you have to let go of that. Yeah. So you probably work with kids. You work with couples. You work with CEOs. You work with people from all walks of life. Do you have a favorite? Is there a, a one thing that's like, if I get this work, I'm taking it every time because this is just, this is my wheelhouse? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't think it's so much um, the age or the generation or the gender or even the industry. I think it is the heart and mind of the person. So the only person that I really am like, eh, is the one that's like, I'm perfect and I'm not coachable. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to work with that you. That person didn't call you to begin with. They were told to call you or they were exactly. pushed to call you, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. where, where, I, where I tend to thrive are really successful people mm -hmm. who have some area of their life that's either not successful or they just can't figure out how to expand the legacy or have the next chapter of their life evolve. Yeah. And so I love with, when people are curiosity and intrigued and want to grow. Yeah. Now, as you know, I do a lot of work, almost all my work with family businesses. Yes. Most of the work I do with family businesses has to do with, not most, but much with succession planning. Yep. Uh, obviously, you have a lot of cross-generational issues that come up in succession planning. You've got the, the greatest generation, which in many family businesses, the 80-year-olds are still working. Yep. And then you have the Gen Zers or whatever's after Z, and you have everything in between. Can you talk a little bit about fundamental differences that you've seen maybe? Let me just talk about, for example, 
um, baby boomers. I was born in 1964. I turned 56 literally yesterday at the time of this era. Thank you. I wasn't looking for that, but I didn't know how to, I got myself there. I was like, how do I get out of this without making it look like I'm wishing for a happy birthday message? Um, and a lot of the people that I lead and the students I teach are, you know, in their early 20s. So they're probably even younger than millennials now. I guess that's Gen Z. Yeah. And we don't know what the next yeah. one is yet. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. What's after Z, right? I guess we go back and Gen AA. I don't, we don't want to call it that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. That, that's a whole other topic and conversation. So let's just take those two generations, for example, because the majority of the people that will be watching or listening to this are either baby boomers or millennials. How would you say are the fundamental ways that, uh, that you would coach? the two to communicate with each other. And I know that's, I I know we can't do this in five minutes, but. No, but I think we can, but let's at least be slightly provocative. So one of the things that I think is really important to remember is that if we can remove the judgment, we can look at the differences objectively. So if you're, let's just, let's just expand that range just a little bit. So if you're, you're a baby boomer, well, let's go a little bit further. Let's go to traditionalists and let's like the greatest generation. So let's just say, you're over the age of 70. We'll go, we'll go with that for a second. Your idea of feedback in the workplace at the height of your career was nobody's making eye contact with you. You must be doing a good job. Yeah. And then the baby boomers came along and they're like, well, no, no, I, I'd like some feedback. Like I'd like an annual performance review. And the traditionalists were like, you're nuts. Just fly below the radar. Don't ask for anything. And the baby boomers were like, no, I want annual feedback. I'll tell you at the end of the year how you're doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then my generation, I'm a generation Xer, so I'm 48. Okay. And I came along and I was like, well, I don't want to find out that I dropped the ball in February in December. You know, I want quarterly feedback. Mm -hmm. And then um, millennials came along and they're like, that's not enough. Like, I want weekly coaching. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this generation is like, you know, I want, I want a text message. I haven't heard uh, yeah, from tell me like now. in 20 seconds. And I'm like, I left you a voicemail. And they're like, I don't even listen to this. So yeah. it changes. But what's fascinating is, is that human behavior, human wants haven't changed. We want to feel included. We want to feel heard. We want to feel understood. We want to know that we belong. We want to know that we're respected for our differences. We want independence and autonomy. And then the, the variations of all of that are how we respond. So here's, here's where I've cautioned my clients the most. If, if you're over the age of 40 and your instant reaction is, oh, those millennials, they're lazy, then your thinking is really shallow and limited and you're the only one that's going to suffer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that we can't broad brush everybody because individuals are individuals. Yes. But there's a reason why communications classes are taught and why there is, I get asked a lot by anywhere I go, hey, can you teach how I can communicate with that other generation? And what I've noticed is that it's not just, you know, the, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers and the millennials, but it's the next generation regardless of. They, they, their music is too loud. The way they talk is too different. The way they communicate is you know, social media now, or, you know, it, it just really depends on, there's always just that gap, I think, between the, between the generations, regardless. Well, and, and the oldest generation is always like, oh, you know, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Exactly. And, 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 Back and, in my day, we did it this way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that one of the things that's really important to do as a leader is to question the, your own stories and to question the assumptions in your head and to challenge them. Now, are there themes and are there threads that we talk about? Yes, but I think that at the end of the day, we could say that for the millennial generation, you're gonna have some lazy louses and you're gonna have some rock stars. For Absolutely. Z, you're gonna have some lazy louses and you're gonna have some rock stars. You know, my generation, we got some lazy louses and we got some rock stars. So just be very careful about the stories that you tell yourself because you'll often prove yourself to be right or just entirely myopic. Mm-hmm. Are there lessons, I'd be curious, are, are there lessons that you've looked at in the younger generation, let's go millennials, for example, the brilliance of millennials. Obviously, they always say if you need something figured out technologically, go to a millennial, go to someone, you know, 20 or 25 or 13 or what have you. What would you say are some of the, the not so much inventions, but just some of the, maybe just for you personally, some of the life lessons you've learned where you thought, wow, I'm so grateful. The, the girls, you know, your stepdaughters or mm-hmm. those that are, are others of generation younger than you, lessons that you've learned that you're just thinking, I'm so grateful that I had this deep conversation with this person. Yeah, I think, I think the fact that we have people that are continuing to push for rights globally, mm-hmm. that, are, that are still saying that we have a civic responsibility to behave in certain ways. So I think what, 
what was alarming to me at first is that when I reflected upon what the girls have experienced, you know, they've had um, everything from 9-11 to school shootings to yeah. mass shootings to um, war on terror to now this pandemic. Um, and so when we talk with them, it sometimes surprises me that they'll say, yeah, going to school, there's, there's a, most days we're scared. And it's like, okay, my generation, most days we weren't scared. Yeah. You know, we had fire drills every now and then in yeah. case Russia. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's created again, and this is where I find fascinating. You could look at it so negatively, or the story in my head is their resiliency and how much they still get up and they still do things and they still figure it out and they're still motivated and they're more sophisticated about world knowledge. They're less sophisticated in their comfort level of interacting with folks. I've noticed that. Sure. They're just different communicate. But I'm only talking about my kids. So mm -hmm. again, I you know getting them to go up and ask a, a host or a hostess at a restaurant. Not now, but right, um, right. you know pre pre five weeks ago. Yeah. They they were it would be nerve wracking to them to talk to a total stranger and look yeah. them in the eye. So there there are pros and cons. But then you realize well then those are things that we can teach them and there's things that they can teach us. Yeah. Yeah. My world growing up was Fullerton, California, and more precisely was the district of the high school that I attended and the walk from school to campus and the baseball team and the, the guys on the team with me and, and, you know, really just my circle right there. There wasn't social media. There was, I mean, telling you and people listening things they already know, but yeah, because of these phones and because of the computers and everything else, it's literally the world. I, I found out 10 minutes before we went on this, this podcast that, the city of Wuhan is now open. The, the airport opened today. Correct. When I was yeah. a kid, I wouldn't have even known that. Maybe on the six o'clock news and probably tomorrow's newspaper. And I probably yeah. wouldn't have even paid attention to that. I would have, my dad would have told me on the weekend when we were out doing the lawn together of something he learned on Monday. And now no, it's just I, like I instantaneous. It. Current events was not important to me in my world when I yeah. was growing up. Now my parents were well-educated, very sure. progressive, very liberal. We Part of it was just we age into it. Yeah. But I, as a kid, I was like, eh, you know, read the newspaper, maybe. So these kids are absolutely more informed, I think, than any generation. The flip side of it is that they have more comparison condition. They're on more anti-anxiety prescription drugs. Yeah. And that's not a judgment. That's no. just a fact. It's our world. And so I think that as the world continues to evolve, and it will, it just means rather than, than being so judgmental about it, the first thing that we need to do is just to be res responsibly thoughtful in understanding the why behind it. And then how do we help this next generation? I mean, I think that, again, you can come in and you can talk about all the craziness of the, of the pandemic and have a lot to talk about, or we can look at the good that's happening on the front line in grocery stores, the good that's happening in hospitals, exactly. people helping out um, Chef Andre, making meals around the world. I mean, there's a lot of things going on where we can focus our time and our attention. And as leaders, where we choose to put our energy and our focus is going to determine how we come out of this. That's so true. There's so many things I've talked about recently with clients and with friends about, you know, let's catch people doing things right. Let's look for hero stories. Because I think the companies that come out of this successfully and the individuals that come out of this successfully, it's going back to companies, for example, the company that invests in their people right now, and I know it's hard to do in many companies, the companies that invest in, in their clients through marketing or through product development or just, just being there and actively listening to them. And then the heroes. And I think the heroes are the one, and I'm not, ta I'm not just talking about the men and women who are out there battling for us every day in foreign lands, but the Chef Andre and the people that are cooking meals. We have uh, Sir Bruno Serrato here at the White House down here in Anaheim, California, who serves 4,000 meals to kids every single day, including now. I mean, he, he could easily just roll up and say, you know what? I'm going to sit back and take a deep breath, but that's not the way he's built. And it's these heroes that are doing these amazing things right now that often go under the radar that are the folks that are going to just thrive like crazy now. And especially when this is over. Well, I think that for everybody who's listening where I would, I would add just one thought to all of that sure. is that we are so living outside example. So be the person that sets a really great example. If it's a new protocol, a new way of responding, but when you're living outside of example, everything's unprecedented. Mm. So let's set a precedent right now with the choices that we make of how do we adapt to our, our customers' needs? How do we adapt to our employees' needs, our community, our charities, our causes? 
And I, I really, I believe that, and this is going to be maybe a little controversial. So let me, let me just finish the thought and then you can challenge me. We have an editor who can, you know, no, <laughs> I think that, um, I think a lot of times when we're caught in a crisis, our instinct is to do, well, let's just, let's just treat everybody equally. And I'm going to challenge that to say, what I really want you to do is I want you to listen to the spoken and the unspoken needs of your internal and your external folks and respond with equity instead. Sure. So it's not about doing the same for everything. It's about saying, what does this person or what does this situation really need from me? And just knowing that you're responding with equity. And I just, it just, I say that seriously because not everybody needs the same thing right now. Right. Well, no, and you're absolutely right. In fact, I was just talking with someone the other day that I, I've put my, and I won't dive into too much detail, but I've put my clients into four or five buckets. And I don't mean to just like, you know, broad brush bucket them, but we have a couple of clients that are just thriving right now. The type of industry, industry, the grocery industry, the cleaning and sanitation and, and yeah. so forth. Those are, everybody's just knocking on their door all day long. And then we have clients that are, you know, a heartbeat away from being out of business because maybe they're in hospitality or events or, or whatever. could be just the circumstantial, could be other reasons. Um, and I can't, like you said earlier, I can't go give a, a workshop and then here's your invoice. Right. I'm, not even, I'm not even invoicing my clients that are thriving right now because they're so busy being busy and taking care of really the rest of us that we'll get back to that. But yeah, you're right. We can't communicate the same way to everybody. And I think that's why what you do for a living is so fascinating to so many people. I'm going to transition a little bit here. When I talk with these families, and again, most of the people watching and listening are family-owned businesses, the number one reason that I tell people why there is divorce, why companies fall apart, why there is conflict in the home and in the business, why there's such divide between political parties, and, and just there's so much division everywhere is, and you'll say it too, we can probably say it, you know, in harmony, is poor communication. Yep. So I'm guessing that for you, do you get more of your, I don't say business, but what are the, what are, and let's, let's for a minute go pre-COVID, even okay. though it's hard to remember that time, you know, <laughs> hard to remember BC before COVID. But um, what were some of the topics that just, you just knew when the phone rang, it's probably going to be one of these three or four things. Is there, are there patterns that you see a lot when, when people are reaching out to you for help? Yeah. So I think that obviously the classic, you know, sales are down and sales are down. is never the problem. It's a symptom of something symptom, else. Sure. Right. And so it's the sales, it's the misaligned leadership. It's the toxic culture. It's the team dynamics are dysfunctional. And then every now and then it's the really kind of, Hey, we're great, but we actually have this incredible problem. We are growing so fast. We need yeah. your help too. So that's, so that's a nice, you know, again, a nice problem to have. But oftentimes it is when somebody says we need to invest in our people, we're not really sure how, um, or we've got a real challenge. And, and the challenge is now it's going to be safeguarding Q3 and Q4 results. Now mm -hmm. it's going to be maintaining a culture that you worked so hard to build while people are working remotely, keeping your people engaged, continuing to problem solve. I know the buzzword right now is pivot. Um, yeah, yeah. but it is, it's adapting. And then mm -hmm. there are, so like you, I have a whole myriad of clients, some on the brink and then right. others that are like, okay, we didn't ask for this, but we made more money in the last two weeks than we made all year long. Exactly. And so you're just, again, you're responding to real needs in real time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to put educational products out there right now, as we talked about, I think before the, before we went on, um, oftentimes finding content that, you know, you have on your website or content from other universities or publications and associations that might be beneficial and just trying to be a, a, a well for uh, information and knowledge and education and recognizing that, you know, company A, which is thriving and company F, which is going out of business technically or close to probably aren't spending a ton of time you know, jumping around websites and gee, where can I find training? So we need to just get that in front of them. And those that are, you know, somewhere in the middle, there are companies where it's, I can't say it's business as usual, but closer to business as yeah. usual, maybe because of the type of work that they're in. I want to make sure that we get some time to talk about your new book. I know it's April 28th, right? Tell us, um, I know it is um, the steps to, uh, yeah. Why don't you just read it to me again? It's called get it. It's called get it. Yeah. Yes. So it's the, it's the 
communication, I, I think platform for getting what it is that you want. And so yeah. the title is get it five steps to the sex salary and success you want. Yeah. And it is super irreverent, super fun, filled with a ton. <laughs> you did something irreverent. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I love it. But it's, you know, it's, it's my, I have, I have to joke. It's my, it's my new baby. Um, mm -hmm. But it really is the idea that you can get what you want. And by that, I don't necessarily mean materialistic. I mean, if you, right. you want to start a charity, if you want to impact the world, that's still your heart's desire. But until you figure out how to become a master communicator, you can want a bunch of stuff and never make it happen. So this is, this is like the how to get what you want. So that's a really good question then. So how do you, with your clients or individually, let's just say, for example, let's do a little coaching session, sure. Amy K with Ed. Take me through the process of how you would help me identify what it is that I want. Because I think a lot of people don't know what they want. They don't know. So yeah. the first thing that I would ask you is like the super, let's just do low hanging fruit. Ed, okay. Ed, what do you want? Just give me something you want. Success. I'll be as, okay. I'll, I'm going to play back. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, and why do you want it? Uh, I want to be successful in my career because I want to be able to continue to put food on the table for my family. Okay. So I'll stop want, you right there. Okay. So what does success in your career look like? Have you defined it? Okay, now we're playing, right? Because yes, I have, yeah. but I'll pretend like I haven't. No. Uh, yeah, I think you know, the answer you might get from a lot of people and probably from me in a lot of ways too is I think I have, but if I say I think I have, I probably haven't, right? Right. Yeah. So a lot of times people will say, I think I have, and then you ask them to give it to me in like a two sentence. So just tell me your definition of career success in two sentences. For me, it's if I wake up every day and I love what I do and I feel like I'm making a difference and the bills are paid and I'm putting some money away for the future, then I'm successful. Okay. And what does all of that get you? Peace of mind. Okay. Which is actually what I you? thought about when you first asked me what I want was peace right. of mind. And why do you want that? Because I want to sleep at night and feel like I'm making a difference. Okay. So now notice what you said, sleep at night and making a difference. Those are two very different things. Mm -hmm. And so probably one of your biggest drivers, because I know you, Ed, of course, is that it's making a difference. Yeah. And so for, for you, realistically and authentically, to overuse that word, but authentically, yes, you want financial security, but that's not your driver. That's not your motivator. Right. And so for, for most people who are listening, they're not that clear. They're either in the family business because mom or dad asked them to be. Mm -hmm. They're stuck in it. Um, they're caught on the treadmill, they're caught on the gopher wheel, or they're in a relationship that is stale. And, and again, not to get too personal, but I know this statistically, mm -hmm. there are a lot of sure. marriages that are not that great. Right. And, and yet you choose to spend your life with this person. And yet you don't know how to ask for what it is that you want. So this book is really about one, getting clear on what it is that you really want and why you want it. And then figuring out how to create connection versus power plays, both at home and at work. And then we, we talk about one of um, step four in the book. And again, I'm irreverent, but it's own your shit and de-stink theirs, which means you got you to gotta own some of your baggage, your missteps, your mistakes, because we're all human. But then you also, I give lots of techniques and tools for taking the stink out of the air when you've got um, friction or conflict with people that are close to you. I love that because you can't change their shit. You nope. can just make it stink to you less, I guess, basically, yes, right? Exactly. We, we teach you how to flush it. <laughs> no, not flush it. There you go. I like that. See, irreverence is good. I like it a lot. What would you say, let, let's take the marriage. You talked about that a lot. And this isn't a marriage show by any stretch. But, you know, I've heard people say that 90% of the happiness or misery in your life is going to come from the relationships around yep. you. And the number one is your marriage in most people's yep. case. What would you say are some of the more common pitfalls that you see so lack of communication is very nebulous and huge, right. but let's say they're, they're communicating. They're not throwing dishes at each other communicating. And maybe that's good in some ways because it shows they're late. At least there's some passion there, right? Yeah. But are there some common pitfalls that you see? And you can't obviously make a broad brush statement right now that's going to save all the marriages that are listening to us right now that are struggling. But where would you typically, and again, it's situational, I get it. But where would you typically go or what do you see a lot that just really comes out to you first when I say that? So let me just do a full umbrella caveat. I am not a marriage therapist right. or counselor. The, where I typically see the patterns come up is that one partner craves connection and another craves dominance and power. 
And so when you've got a mismatch, that relationship will not survive. When somebody has to be right, when somebody yeah. has to win, when somebody has to be the smarter one, um, rather than, than seeking connection, they seek power. And that will totally erode a relationship. The second thing that I see is that when you want happiness for somebody else more than they want it for themselves. So you cannot be somebody's white knight. You cannot yeah. rescue and save and fix them. You can only come to the conversation with your own state of happiness, your own sense of peace of mind or contentment and ask or hope that, well, both, you will ask and hope that they do it for themselves. But I can't want you to be happy, Ed, more than right. you want it for yourself. Uh, it's interesting. I like that a lot. We can't, it goes back to that we can't change people. No. We can change our perception, but we can't change them. And so it goes back to just flush their distinct, their shit, yeah, as you say. I think just if we, if we go specifically on communication, so much of bad communication is on really um, destructive habits. So we all have our triggers. We all have things that annoy us. And so one of the things that I teach in the book is something called like the distinct technique. And the reason that I, I, I so lay it out is because so many times we're talking about the dishwasher or the way that the toilet paper hangs, if you have any. And <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and the way that the towels are folded. And, and I think it's really important for couples to realize that those conversations, that's not what any of them are about. Yeah. It's, not, it's about control, power, connectivity, um, and, and feeling like you're respected and heard. And so I lay that out in a lot of detail. But I think that what happens is, and this is probably the biggest thing of all, internally we settle. And we tell ourselves, well, this is it. Like, this is as good as it's going to get. Created, and it's not. Yeah. So how does that correlate to corporate America now? I'm guessing a lot is very similar. Yeah. So we, we settle for mediocrity. We say that this is as good as it gets. Or we start to rest on our laurels that things aren't so bad. Um, or or we, we do what I call the, the lame blame game. You know, well, it's not my fault. It's Ed's fault. You know, and if Ed would only do this, and right. it's really taking back the control of when you honor the worth of your own voice, when you honor your ability to be this incredibly positive, influential, impacting person in the world, it's amazing what you can change and how quickly you can change it. And that is not me blowing smoke. I prove it over and over and yeah. over again with the work that I do. And we take accountability too. I think I'm, what I'm, part of what I'm hearing you say is oftentimes the blame game, as you say, the lame blame game to continue to rhyme here, often happens when we just don't take accountability for our own actions. You can say something, but you can't make me feel a certain way. I'm accountable for that. Yeah. And you know, it's really interesting. So I have, again, I have kind of a little different perspective on the word accountability. So a lot of people, when they say, I take accountability for it in our society, especially Western first world society, we have equated taking responsibility as it's your fault. So if you're accountable to it, then it must be your fault. And to really shift that definition to, if I said that I'm accountable, what I said and agreed to was, I'm responsible for the care and management of either the people or the components or the situation. I'm not looking to blame anybody. I don't even have to accept the blame. Sure. What I'm accepting is the care and management for this. So like if you come to me and you say, hey, this went sideways, I don't start getting defensive. I don't start looking for somebody else to blame. My first response is, okay, Ed, I, I stepped up to say that I was going to be the caretaker and the manager of this. So how might we solve How might we? Together? I was going to beat you. Dang it. I was going to beat you to that. I was looking at, what was it again? Yeah. How might we? I love it. I love it. You're consistent. I, <laughs> I, love, why I love what I do. You're <laughs> That's quick, right. You're quick. Yeah, I love it. No, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I, I, we're just into 45 minutes in and I want to go another couple of hours. But uh, you talked about earlier how you like to have a book in your hand. You like the, the, the hard book rather than the electronic. What are you reading? What do you, what do you read? Who do you read? What, who inspires you? Mentors you've had or have? Lots of questions. So I, I have usually a couple different books going at once. And, and that's because I bifurcate the personal and the professional. And so I've, I've got a couple open. One is Bulletproof Selling hmm. by G.A. Bartik. I love that book. Um, I'm on my second read of it. It's nice. just a classic, great sales book. And I think the reason that I've gone back to it is I'm just seeing with fresh eyes what it can look like as I go virtual. You know, as I start to do more online, is there a way for me to learn how to sell a little bit? So it's been a great refresher. And then... Um, I'm blanking on the author. It's Rebecca, I think, 
sort of snarky, don't quote me on that, but it's um, a paradise built from hell. And, yeah. and it's really, it's this, first of all, it's beautifully written. It's gorgeous, gorgeous prose. But she really talks about the power of humanity to rise from terrible events. So she talks about um, things such as Katrina. And it's, sure. um, it's really about how people are so resilient and so collaborative that when we are at our base worst as experiencing something collectively, we are at our best in responding to it collectively. Yeah. And she does a much better job of communicating that than I'm doing. But I just started that book and I'm already hooked. Well, and I think that's perfectly said for what we're going through right now. What I'm noticing today in this COVID age that we're in is we're, I, what I'm noticing in my conversations and communication with my family and my home on Zoom with clients and, and friends even is we're very laser focused in our conversation. I think that we've sorted out the garbage. You know, we're not, uh, yeah, we're, in, we're that phoenix that's going to rise out of the ashes here as a country and as a community. And I firmly believe it as an economy, we, will, we always have which tells me again, we always will. Um, it might look different coming out of this one than in the past. But for me, we don't have those, hey, how you doing? You know, walking by in the hallway conversation now, which really just means, yeah, Amy K, I see you, but I'm on my way to a meeting. Now, Amy K, how are you doing? I'm going to stop and I'm going to listen and it's going to be authentic, which I hope for me, I'm only speaking for Ed Hart now, I hope that's going to make me a better communicator, a better listener, a better leader, a better husband father, grandfather, as I rise out of this, because I'm realizing now, you know, this is a time for me to really kind of focus, not focus on me. And I don't mean it in a selfish way, but focus on me, even in an improvement way. How can I become a better version of me? And right now I'm just focused on, on the shit that matters. And the significance of that is enormous. So thank yeah. So when you, when you decide, and it's not selfish, it's actually quite generous to yeah. say that, if I can be a better leader and a better partner and a better grandfather, then the world, the ripple effect of that is, is that the world benefits from that. I yeah. think that if we had chatted, you know, 90 days earlier, I would have said like conversations matter, like duh, that's what I believe in. Conversation matters. Yeah. But now that we're talking today, conversation matters matters yeah and it's so important that we stop long enough to have meaningful significant conversations because of the role that we play and to honor the role that other people are playing and and to realize that we all have a role in this and it's hopefully choosing a role that that has a ripple effect that that benefits again our, our collective humanity yeah and we're we're more Here's that word again. I like the word, but it is overused authentic. Yeah. You and I are in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If we were sitting face-to-face -face right now in a coffee shop, we'd still be having a very great conversation, but we are looking at our phones. We may have taken a couple of phone calls. We may be talking to people going around. Somebody walks into the coffee shop and it distracts us, which immediately takes us away from this. And yeah, this is two-dimensional, whereas that's three. But for me, this is so much more powerful because, you know, we're literally looking at each other eye to eye, having a conversation with, I don't know about on your end, but on my end, the only distraction on mine is the, the phone lights up, but it's only with the time. It's, I'm not, I have no idea who it is. Yeah, no, no, no. My, my distractions later. are all turned off too. And yeah. I think that it's, it's strange because as much as I think that I'm watching like the news feeds come in on my phone. I get this little summary report and I don't know how it works on everybody's phone because I'm not a tech that's not my phone. Right. But I get this little summary at the end of the week that says like your screen time is up or down. Mm -hmm. And my screen time was down by like a crazy 42%. It yeah. was like, you're not on your phone. And I'm like, because I'm zooming. I'm looking at a different <laughs> screen now. Yeah, exactly. It's a different <laughs> screen. But this screen is so much better. Oh, yeah. um, I'm, I, in fact, I have a Zoom happy hour um, tonight, mm -hmm. and, and I'm doing a lot of those. And I think that, so here's a great story, because I'm a storyteller. So yeah. I'm, a, I'm a member of my own mastermind, so I practice what I preach. I run a mastermind group. I'm a member of mine. My mastermind group is called Lady Balls. We're all female speakers. We all have different topics. But we're, we're talking about the fact that we are having conversations on Zoom that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So like one of my mastermind members, she had a two and a half, not exaggerating, a two and a half hour conversation with her brother. And she's like, we haven't spoken for more than like 30 minutes in the last yeah. year. 
but there was something about Zoom and seeing each other that just brought the two of them together. And I think we're going to hear a lot of these stories where people, again, this is tragic. I have had personal loss. We've had a right. family member on the front lines in New York City, ER doctor. He passed away last week, so oh, our so pain sorry. is real. But yeah. I feel like on the other side of this, there's going to be a lot of good as well. And I just so believe that. I think we're longing for, I'll use your word you used earlier, and it's in your book, intimacy. And it's not just the intimacy that we think of that's, that's you know, irreverent. Right. But that intimacy of intimate relationship, the into me you see, you know, as, as we've heard it defined. Yes. And I think that that's what this creates. I, I, we were talking in a, in a Bible small group on, on Zoom last night. And one of the individuals, my wife and I are in a group, and one of the individuals and one of the couples said, let's talk a little bit about who you've connected with through this that maybe you wouldn't have connected with. So you, you hit it right on the head. Uh, I've got friends that I worked with maybe 20 years ago or family members that I don't talk to, even siblings that I don't really communicate with. Not that there's anything wrong, but we're all just so dang busy. And not that we're not busy now. It's just a different kind of busy. And, uh, you know, my calendar, I have my calendar printed out on my wall over there for my wife to see so she can tell not only when I'm in here doing these and having meetings, but I have a little asterisk next to the ones where I'd love to have her join me. Because, you know, it's like now we're having conversations and communication with friends and family. And, you know, last night for my birthday, we had all the kids on and they sang happy birthday and the grandkids on the screen blew the candles just like the ones in the room with me did. And it's just, it's stuff that we're going to remember forever that's just so priceless. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, so first of all, you're giving me goosebumps because <laughs> I, I just so believe in that. I think that when we look at the children's experience, the young adults experience, like what you just did with your family, they're going to remember this by how we all responded. Yeah. So if mom and dad were crazy stressed out and um, angry with each other and filled with anxiety, they're going to remember this is an extraordinarily difficult time in the household. If, if, the, if the household is calm, doesn't mean that, that you, you invalidate some of your other feelings, but if overall the, the household, the business leaders are calm and credible and leading with certainty and empathy, um, they're going to look back at this and say, you know, that was a really, that was a good time. That was a really good time. Last week, my wife and I actually sat down on Zoom with the pastor of our church. And we have a long history of, you know, the rising out of the ashes. Our previous pastor had taken his life about a year and a half ago. So this pastor we have now has really led us through some really difficult times. And again, oh, we're yeah. in difficult times as a world that he's again, leading us through, but that topic came up and he talked about two things. He said, um, his name is Josh Crane. And if people have watched or listened to my podcast, it's the one that's actually airing now that we just put I was just going to say, ago. you just talked, chatted with him. Yeah, we did. And he's an amazing man who has um, for late thirties, tremendous wisdom. Um, but he said a couple of things that really stood out to me. And you've said those things basically in different words now that he said that number one, the second most important role of a parent is to teach their children. The first important, the most important role is to enjoy your children. And then he took it a step further and really touched on what you just said, how we as parents respond to this around our kids and grandparents in my case as well, is how they're gonna remember us. They're gonna remember, hey, during that COVID crisis back in 2020, when I didn't get to go to my own graduation and I didn't get to finish my class and I missed my baseball season and didn't get to do all these things that I, I didn't get to play with my friends in the cul-de-sac, Mom and dad were there. We played games every night. We watched movies together. Dad didn't work, you know, 12 hour days. Yeah, he may have, but he came downstairs for lunch every day and he sat and did homework with me. And, or I could be the dad that's just like, don't bother me. I'm stressed out. My clients are, you know, hemorrhaging right now and I got to just focus on them and nothing wrong with focusing on my clients, obviously, but they're going to remember this down the road on how we are now. And I, I like how you put it as well. You know, it's how, how do we show up for them right now? Yeah, it is. It is how we show up. And I think that one of the things that we have to remember is that it's a choice. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people listening right here are feeling inundated. Um, and I think that they're like, well, that's easier said than done. Yeah, it is easier said than done. Yeah. And it's still a choice. Mm -hmm. Any, as we start to wrap, I know we're, we're, there's, we're just scratching the surface on so many topics. 
it's like shareware in the old day, you know, we'll give them a little <laughs> bit now. And then if you want more, you know, buy the book. No, I, I'm not going to say that. And certainly that is important. And I do encourage everyone to, to pick up all of your books. I, everything you've done, I've read and, Thank and you. I, and you're right. It does feel like I'm just in conversation with you because I'm, you, you write the way you speak. And that's, I think those are the authors I love reading. You see some of the books behind me. These are my favorite books. And these are ones that I read because I'm a very visual person which has some really negative things as well. Like I see that COVID little diagram on TV with the little things sticking out and it gives me really horrible feeling inside. And I don't know yep. if it's the empathy of people I know like yourself who have lost loved ones or if I'm just too visual, I don't know, but, but I am. And so that's just, that's just a part of the problem I have is that I'm a little too visual, but as you, as you write your books and I read them, I can, I can see the stories. I can see the people you're describing and uh, that's what makes it more powerful. So thank you for that. Thanks. Thank you for that feedback. That makes me feel good. That makes, like, makes my heart feel good. Well, you're really, really good at what you do. You're obviously in the right profession, doing the right thing. A couple questions that I always end up, first of all, the, one of the, the, um, the just the, the handling the, the logistics of this, how can my audience reach you? What's the best way to, to find you on social media or books or where you're going to be speaking? Where, where, where should they go? So the easiest is our website, which is just four letters, my name, A-M-Y-K, so amyk.com. And you know this, Ed, but for those who are being introduced uh, to me for the first time, one of my core, 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 core values is generosity. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see on our homepage all sorts of free resources and tools. So our conversation prep planner. So if you've got a critical conversation on the horizon, that's a great tool for you. It's free. We have all kinds of things around sales and managing up and having tough conversations, lots of free stuff. Um, you can follow me on Instagram if you are under the age of 70 and you are an there you Instagram go. user. Uh, 70 is the age now. Okay, good. I better get with <laughs> so it. Hey, my parents are on it. So it's awesome. good. I love it. Um, but yeah, so you can follow me at Amy Catchins again, tons of free stuff. And then, yeah, so my book is coming out April 28th. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really asking for everybody to support that launch on Amazon, yeah. but it's a really easy support because the ebook's only 99 cents. So I'm awesome. not asking that much. Yeah, there you go. You're not getting wealthy. They say if you're writing a book to get to make money or you're doing a podcast or recording a song to get money, go do something else because you're yeah, doing seriously. it because it's a passion. So this, is, this is not about that. This is about truly right. getting it out there, telling everybody you know you can get all this stuff for 99 cents. And we'll promote it. We'll put this on our social media as well. We'll put it in the message notes for this particular podcast, how to reach you, how to I get the book. That. Yeah, of course. Uh, second to last question. Second to last question is, there's a, a family business leader right now who is working with his family or her family. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm taking a bunch and putting them into one person like you've talked about you doing your books who has had those difficult conversations, who's four weeks into this crisis right now, maybe five weeks in by the time we air this next week. Um, what advice would you have on how to continue to communicate with the people that they've had to let go? Either they've laid off or they've furloughed or they're just cutting the hours. Um, you don't want to just not talk to them and communicate with them. Do you have any suggestions? I'm sure you probably have clients that are in that situation as well. Any, any suggestions you have for how to communicate? Maybe not word for word, because it's different on every case. Any just thoughts on that? Yeah, I would, I would go back to that, you know, how, how might I best serve? Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that is difficult, let's just be really candid, is that you're also coming from a legal standpoint. Sure. So you, you don't want to get on and promise a job that may or may not be there. You don't want to say anything that could come back to haunt you. And yet... When you speak from the heart, no pun intended, uh -huh. um, you, you can talk about how, how difficult this is, but I'm, I'm going to warn you not to use platitudes. I'm, I'm going to warn you to probably say less than you've ever said before, mm. but to have those words um, be weighty. So for instance, and I'll just, I'll give an example. I had a client recently say, well, what kill us, you know, what doesn't kill us will make us stronger. Yeah. And I was like, um, well, technical foul. This is killing us. <laughs> yeah. so, so let's not use How am I getting stronger? Yeah. Like, we don't need to quote anybody right now. Yeah. We just need to, to show up and say, this is hard. This is hard. This yeah. is painful. And, and I, I don't even have necessarily the right words. Um, but I know that the words matter. So I'm just going to speak from the heart. And here's what I have to say. 
I also think in reverse, it's really important that as leaders right now, as we continue to stay in touch with people that, that might be working part-time, that might be furloughed, that you may think about hiring back, is that you need to listen to, to really their unspoken needs as well. So when somebody is like yelling or somebody's angry, the unspoken need is they're feeling out of control, they're feeling vulnerable, they're feeling like they're not being heard, listened, or understood, and to remember that. So before you respond, just listen for that unspoken need about what it is that they may not be saying verbally, but that they're crying out for. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. That's such great advice because, you know, it's, it's, it's firsthand experience for me right now with my team and also many of the clients that I'm working with. And every, it's, everybody's in a same situation, but handling it differently. And I, I love Say Less. I think that's great. Any other thing that you'd like to get out that we didn't talk about before I ask you my final question? final. Go All for right, it. let's do it. We've already said, and as you know, the name of the podcast is From the Heart, and you've listened, you've told me to a couple of these, so you know my final question, Amy K. Hutchins, right now, what's in your heart? Gratitude and service. It's, 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 it's honestly, it's so simple for me right now. I wake up, what am I grateful for? How am I going to serve? I go to bed, and right before I go to bed, I say, what did I do? that was of service today and what am I grateful for that happened today? And it is the start and the finish of every single day right now. 